You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Anytime a mega contract is signed, one of the things we always say is, let's see what happens when we get the details. Usually, the details means money. But what do you do when the details on a mega contract for your starting quarterback includes a clause about homework? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. One of us on this show did their homework in high school. One of us did not. I don't think it takes a lot of guesses to figure out which one of us was a good student and which one of us mm-hmm. was the type of student that tried to figure out ways around the hard work. No doubt about that, Sarah. And I know that you, as a, as a student of life, appreciate you know, going out there studying, doing the hard work, and uh, being part of the grind. Like, you're, you're that person. You put in the knowledge requirement for everything that you do. I like to think nerd. that I did. I'm a nerd. I like yeah. learning. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt about that. I was uh, not a cool kid, but I also didn't work hard enough to be a nerd. Uh, so uh, maybe <laughs> I have a little more understanding here, but Kyler Murray's new contract has a homework clause in it. Now, uh, what does that mean? According to a source with extensive knowledge of the contract uh, that has seen this, and it's been all over social media today, the contract has an independent study clause that requires that the material be provided to him by the club in order to prepare for the club's next upcoming game, including without limitation any such material provided via an iPad or other electronic device, and he must spend at least four hours per week, not on the bye week, but every other week, uh, with that homework, studying it on his own. It seems unusual to have a study clause in a mega contract for a quarterback. Yeah, of course it does. You don't have clauses like that unless there is good reason for them. They only exist in the cases where you have reason to believe that if it wasn't contractually obligated, it would not happen. What's been especially interesting is after this was revealed to be part of the contract, People dug up an old New York Times interview, and some of the stuff you can read in that sort of feels a little different now, knowing that it appears that the Cardinals are very concerned about his dedication to tape. For instance, the part where he says, I think I was blessed with the cognitive skills to just go out there and just see it before it happens. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. I don't sit there for 24 hours and break down this team and that team and watch every game because in my head, I see so much goes on to say when he needs a break sometimes he turns his eyes elsewhere like to video games so that's the question are they concerned that he spends too much time doing things not in pursuit of the game and the game plan now worth noting in that same interview he talked about how much Colt McCoy at the time uh, before he left for a different team um, or before he got to the Cardinals he didn't realize how much help he was and McCoy said about Kyler Murray He's never played with anyone who has as much intuition or feel at the position. Other young quarterbacks might overthink. Murray plays with an uncluttered mind. So I can see how Murray might convince himself that overdoing the tape, overstudying, will take him out of the natural feel of the game that he believes that he has some preternatural ability for. But I think that the conflict there is that the team can't see or know what's in his head, and so they don't actually know if the increase in... in studying game tape is, is going to hurt him or help him. They, they just know that they don't like the looks of a guy who they probably can track his use of his iPad and don't see enough of it. Yeah, and uh, the tracking of the iPad is an important point here because obviously they can see the work that's being put in. 
And I, look, I, I'm a big believer that everybody learns differently. I, there's a fairly famous story at this point of Brett Favre in a practice room actually looking over and saying, hey, what is a nickel defense? What are we talking about? And, like, he just was not familiar with that. There are certain guys that manage to get by just on their sheer talent. I think in the current system of the NFL, that gets tougher and tougher. And at some point when you're a team signing your contract for a quarterback, that's that you're absolutely you're now married for a very long time. You've got to look at it from the team and say, protect ourselves. Everything is about protection for worst-case scenarios. It's staggering to me, though, to think that the number was four. Like, you, man, all we're asking you is to put in four hours of work outside mm-hmm. the facilities. Like, that's such a low number to protect. But it speaks to, to your point that obviously they felt they had to protect themselves to ensure that something was being done off the field. If he's been doing nothing, he's still been very productive, Sarah. But this is obviously the, the team saying there are par- portions of you we're not comfortable with. If you're not familiar, there's been an, a long-going feud between Mina Kimes and the official Arizona Cardinals <laughs> Twitter feed, yes, uh, yes. where she chimed in uh, uh, many, many months ago as Kyler was uh, archiving all of his Cardinals footage and not making clear that he wanted to return you good, to which they responded by mocking uh, her Seahawks team falling apart and uh, losing her quarterback. Uh, this has gone back and forth several times. They decided after Kyler signed this mega deal to tweet her you good and she responded today perfectly with i'm good about to pop on some tv while i study film uh that is both simultaneously a rip because she will be studying film infinitely more than kyler also because he probably does watch tv while alleging that he's studying film so she got him twice and i don't know why they play with her anymore they should know it's coming yeah, they, they should know what's coming, which uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, the league should know where it's coming, uh, what's coming next when it comes to one particular quarterback, and that's Lamar Jackson, uh, as there is now an article out. It's an article I like every year. Uh, Mike Sando does it on The Athletic, and it, it divides the quarterbacks. Instead of ranking them, it puts them into tiers, and I think it's a really effective way to look at sort of the quarterback and, and where your team stands. And Lamar Jackson was in tier two, but there's a quote that's been making the rounds today from an un- named NFL defensive coordinator that quote if he has to pass to win the game they ain't winning the game he's so unique as an athlete and he's a really good football player but I don't care if he wins the league MVP 12 times I don't think he'll ever be a one as a quarterback he'll be a one as a football player but not as a quarterback so many games come down to two minute and that's why they have a hard time advancing even when they're good on defense playoffs are tight you have to be able to throw the ball and he's just so inconsistent throwing the ball it's hit or miss I'm stunned we're still hearing this mm. from people in the league. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just like people decided what the story on, was on him, and they are sticking to it. I actually shouldn't be stunned because that's what we do these days. We look for confirmation bias of the things we already believe, and we dig our heels in on the opinions that we've taken and the stances that we've taken, no matter what we've learned. You look at the statistics for Lamar Jackson, and he defies all of these narratives. And, and you know, I, I wish I had him right in front of me. Mina Kimes just went over this on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. And it's statistics unrelated to using his legs. Statistics where you take out the running plays, where he sits in the pocket and is still better than most of the players in the NFL. And the idea that not only are you saying I'm still concerned about his ability as a pocket passer, but to say I don't give a bleep if he wins the league MVP 12 times. Yo, if he does that, what more do you want? 
if he's winning it, what more do you want? Like, that's you saying, I don't care how much evidence lies in front of me that I'm wrong. I will refuse to change my opinion. If this were my defensive coordinator, wouldn't be a big fan of knowing that's how he operates. Yeah, and there's a moment for me where so many guys in the media are, and, and girls in the media are dug into what they believed when somebody came into the league and it's hard to change their mind. When you're in the league behind the scenes, I believe you should be smarter than that. You should be willing to constantly reimagine. And you just said confirmation bias. There's a true crime podcast I listen to all the time called The Prosecutors. And what's great about it is it's two prosecutors that don't care about what any theory is. They just follow the evidence based on what they've learned in their life and trying cases. And they go through every ounce of all of these super famous cases in a way that's like, hey, we're not going to make any presumptions until the end. And then we're going to follow the evidence. And sometimes I think what happens in the NFL, much like true crime, is so many people have made up their mind on what the outcome needs to be that they follow the evidence to, to get them to their point instead of actually looking at the body of work. And at this point, if you have questions about Lamar Jackson, the quarterback, overall, I think you are just absolutely biased with what you thought coming in or what people have told you you should think instead of what the body of work shows. I, I can't imagine a single reason why somebody in the league would have that to say about him at quarterback. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's proud to team up with Hello Alice to support small businesses. Get access to small business resources. Learn about small business grants at HelloAlice.com. All right, big NBA news today. According to reports, the Nets got a mega offer for the Celtics. But there's a very simple reason why I don't think they can take it. Tell you what it is next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I hope we never make Kevin Durant reports a drinking game because my liver won't <laughs> survive it. We have a new report today of another team engaged with talks with the Nets on a possible KD trade, but I don't think it should happen at all. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. So according to reports, it looks like now every couple of days a new team is interested in Kevin Durant. But according to reports, the Celtics have offered or have the ability to offer, depending on who you read, Jalen Brown is a centerpiece in an offer. So, you know, right now, Woj saying that they have the ability to include forward Jalen Brown as a centerpiece in an offer helps them make them formidable, uh, formidable in pursuit. But right now, there's been no real traction for it. But Sarah... I keep looking at this one. This is one specific trade for all the reports that are coming out that the the Celtics and the Nets might be talking. This is the one I could never wrap my head around. Because if I'm a Nets fan, if I'm the Nets organization, and I turn around and I give one of the best players in the NBA to somebody that's clearly already better than me in the East, I am telling my fans that there's no hope. There's no reason to watch. There's no reason to participate in the next four years because we just gave an arch rival in our own conference traction that will beat us time and time again in the playoffs. Like this trade makes zero sense for the Nets. It makes zero sense for Nets fans because even if it makes them better than other trades could make them, it makes one of their big foes absolutely better. I can't make that logic make sense. I kind of agree with you. I don't think it's quite the same as when that happens in in within a division, for instance, in football, where every single game matters so much. I think there's more that could go wrong for a team. I think there's more long-term planning and thinking in the NBA. And I think it really depends on how adamant Kevin Durant is about leaving. If they believe that they can call his bluff and make him stick around because they're not getting any deals that are even close to approximating his value with a four-year contract still remaining, then they can feel comfortable waiting it out. But if it ends up being that he's willing to to sit and not play or to, to, to enter multiple seasons, you know, 
willing to make life hell for the Nets, then they have to get the best pieces they can get. And there are so few teams out there that can afford to give away pieces and still be good with Kevin Durant. And those are the only places he'll agree to go. So while I understand your point, I think the waiting game is going to be the biggest part of this. Actually, Nick Friedel was on Canty and Carlin. And as much as we're all talking about this particular scenario right now because the reports that came out, he doesn't think anything is imminent. And he reminded us that the NBA has sort of in, in, involved this sort of vacation time that they've all agreed upon and that this whole Kevin Durant situation is going to be subject to when people are back in the office and really want to get after it again. The hard part right now is the NBA as a whole is going on vacation. And Chris, this is the first time in two plus years that people in the league have been able to take a real vacation because mm-hmm. last year the the finals stretched into like July and then free agency and the draft and everything and you blinked and up oh, time to start the new year. This time there is that little bit of a break that there always used to be. A lot of people are getting away from the office and they are disappearing. So if you're Brooklyn and Sean Marks, the GM, you you pick things back up whenever somebody calls and and makes a more serious offer in the Nets' eyes, but I would not be surprised at all at this point, given what I've heard, to hear that this is going to stretch into the season, and the question will then become, how badly does Kevin Durant really want to get out of there, or would he consider coming back and seeing what can happen on a Nets team with a lot of question marks, especially with Ben Simmons? There's so many pieces there that are important parts of the context on this because I think what's happening right now is, you know, this is what happens whenever we're not really hearing from anybody specifically. We start to put pieces together. And so as the reports come through for the Heat, the Suns, the Raptors, whatever team it is that's looking at KD, it makes sense. Like, I understand why every team in the NBA would want to look up and down the roster and say, okay, how can we acquire Kevin Durant? I'm all in on every team saying yes to the Nets. I'm not all in on the Nets saying yes to every team. And what makes this really difficult are the relationships. Like, even if we're going to buy the kumbaya story we were sold in the playoffs where, you know, Jalen Brown came in and said that he and Kyrie have gotten closer since they didn't get along when they played together. If you're the Nets, you have no assurance that who's going to come in is going to mesh well with Kyrie. If you're going to keep Kyrie, you have no assurance that any of it's going to actually work for you short-term or long-term. Like, there's so many iffy scenarios here I just as much as KD may want out no matter how badly he wants that I feel like if I'm the the Nets I'm looking around saying I get what you want but we have needs too in this relationship and they're not going to be fed by getting rid of him I I I don't see a win for the Nets that involves KD being let go yeah I I mean I also it's Spain and Fitz by the way Sarah Spain Jason Fitz you know you're talking like they would keep Kyrie if KD's gone and I don't see that happening I think the only way KD's, uh, Kyrie sticks around is if they find a way to placate KD and they decide to run it back and see what happens with Simmons and, and, and bring back the gang. I think if KD's gone, they're not going to move forward with Kyrie. They're going to try to get into position to get as many assets as possible and look to the future instead of the but now doesn't, to win. Like, doesn't playing chicken with KD extend the timeout with Kyrie so far that it makes it even tougher to move Kyrie? Uh, agreed, but I think they're going to move KD first anyway because they need to see what kind of haul they get for Durant because there's so much more interest in him before they move Kyrie because then they're going to ask for what they need after getting the haul for KD in the Kyrie deal. And again, it feels like the only suitor that's truly interested is the Lakers, so they don't have to rush on uh, on Kyrie. Um, it's it's complicated. And and Nick's point, and, and several other people have said this, the idea that this could extend into the season and, and be a situation similar to the one years ago with the Lakers and Kobe, where Kobe demanded out, and they basically said, yeah, we can't do it. 
uh, we cannot find an offer remotely close to what you're worth, so we're going to have to figure this out. Came back to the team, and they ended up being quite successful, won a title, but, um, you know, there's going to be a whole lot more time that passes before we find out if the Nets and Kevin Durant feel like they get to that place. Can I I give a conspiracy theory here, too? Like, just think, you and I always talk about who benefits when a rumor comes out. Well, this rumor of this trade doesn't really benefit the Nets. It doesn't really benefit KD. It does create yet another, because Jalen Brown sent out a tweet that said SMH. It creates another another cleanup that's going to have to be done from Boston. Now you got to go to Jalen Brown and say, no, 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 we weren't trying to move you. Or if you were trying to move him, you got to explain why you were trying to move him. Like, I just think that some of this is being put out to sort of poison the well in other places and create these this, this tension all over the league while you're just sitting back realizing that you're watching everything go to chaos around you. Yeah, I mean, after the season that the Celtics had, that that's one of the things that I, I think about when these rumors hit is the cleanup that you do have to do with teams once the people inside hear wind that they might be the ones up for, up for grabs. Um, and I think at least I agree with you that you said earlier, if I'm an opposing team, it's a no-doubter that I want Kevin Durant. It's the opposite for the Nets, right? There's so much that needs to go into making that move that's worth it. Um, but I, you know, I heard Isola today and others basically saying it's just not that easy a decision to make anymore with Kevin Durant because he's old. I'm like, nah, he's still one of the top three players in the league and will immediately make your team a contender and has several more years where I'm confident that he will be a massively, massively successful player. Uh, speaking of massively successful, do want to make sure everybody knows the WNBA Commissioner's Cup tomorrow night. Ooh. It's the, the Aces taking on some other team. I don't know. And that's uh, it. Uh, the defending uh, champion, Chicago uh, Sky, who pinched, uh, pinched, pu- uh, punched, uh, punched, I believe is the term, their ticket to the playoffs first of everyone in the league. Yeah, they did. The game is at uh, 8.30 <laughs> Eastern. It'll be on Amazon Prime exclusively. Uh, they're doing a lot of really cool things, and obviously this is a hyped-up game for the players, too. There's a $500,000 uh, purse at stake here, which is a big deal. Are we going to put out, like, should we put out a little bet of some sort, sir? Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I think we should do a, uh avatar swap like we did before where I unfortunately very briefly had to have an Aces avatar as my uh, photo on Twitter. But instead of just putting the opposing person's team, I think the winner should get to pick the avatar of the loser for one day. Within That's, reason. Nothing that will get him kicked off or fired. All right. I'm in for that. Nothing that gets anybody fired. And by the way, half a million dollar pot plus an extra $165,000 for charitable and civic yeah. organizations for the winners. Really, really cool thing. We'll keep getting you caught up for that. But we got to get to two days. Rolls on with the Buffalo Bills. Is it Super Bowl or bust? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Monday. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We continue our two-a-days, and we're getting to the real good teams now, the teams that have a really good shot to win it all. And the Buffalo Bills are one of my picks for the Super Bowl. Early, very early, but they're up there. Let's go to Sal Capaccio, Bills reporter for WGR 550 Sports Radio. At Sal Sports is where you can follow him. Uh, A lot of hype about this team. The biggest question for me, considering all the talent they're returning, is just the transition from Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey at offensive coordinator. How big of a deal do you think that could be? A very big deal, and thanks for being on and for having me on, guys. I appreciate talking to you. But, Sarah, it's really kind of the only thing, I think, short of injury that could kind of maybe derail this team or at least even get them off to a slow start. We'll see how that goes. But, look, Sean McDermott is a very, very smart coach. What he did was – 
he surrounded Ken Dorsey with veteran play, uh, veteran coaches. Uh, offensive line coach Aaron Cromer, who's been an offensive coordinator in this league. Quarterbacks coach Joe Brady comes in. He's been an offensive coordinator in this league. We know what he did at LSU. And, of course, the biggest thing is Ken Dorsey's been with Josh Allen for three years. He got the endorsement from Josh Allen. This is all about comfort. If Sean McDermott told us if they went outside the organization, they would be light years behind uh, where they are right now. So, you know, it is a transition. He's a first-time play caller, but I think people here at One Bills Drive think really feel really good about what they've done. Now, obviously, I even say the word Chiefs, and I know Bills fans get uh, all up in their feels. I understand it. So short of, like, I don't know, giving consultant lessons to other teams on how to beat the Chiefs, like what can the Bills do this year to get over that hump? Get to Patrick Mahomes with 13 seconds left. I mean, let's be honest, right, guys? I mean, they they had 13 seconds before they were in the AFC Championship game, and they didn't do what they should have done on the kickoff maybe, but especially on defense. Well, enter Von Miller. It is all about getting to – they brought him in to be the closer. Von Miller is here for one reason, to get this team over that hump, Jason, to, to close out the game, to get to Patrick Mahomes. I think they really feel that they just did not uh, get to Patrick Mahomes – well enough and efficient enough in the critical moments of that game. You go back to the Sunday night game they played in Kansas City. The Bills played great. They beat the Chiefs. They had a great game plan. They really shut down Tyreek and even Travis Kelsey. In the playoff game, Tyreek Hill got loose. Um, One of the things they need to do, I think, is I think they want to do it, maybe play a little bit more man-to-man defense because they do have Von Miller, be able to stick a little bit closer to those receivers, don't give them the space they need. And obviously Tyreek's not in Kansas City anymore, but I think that's just a general theme. But overall against the Chiefs, get to Patrick Mahomes, and that's why they got Von Miller. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Sal Capaccio, Bills reporter for WGR 550 Sports Radio as we continue our two-a-days. Where do you see a weakness? And we're going to have to nitpick once we get to teams that are this good, but where would there be concern this season? I think there's a little concern on how the offensive line is going to perform when you have a couple of new players there, a couple of question marks now. One of the big stories of camp here the first couple of days, they went out and they signed veteran Roger Saffold, who was with Tennessee. He's with the Rams, obviously. He actually was in a minor car accident right before camp. We didn't find out until we got here. He has rib injuries. He's on the pup list to start. Now, it doesn't seem like it's serious. Thank goodness for him personally and professionally for the Bills. Uh, he should be back. But they did sign an offensive lineman today, another guy, uh, a free agent, uh, Simmons. But that's just ba- Jordan Simmons, but that's just basically for insurance because there are some questions. Then you have Spencer Brown at right tackle, who was okay last year at times, but he got beat by a lot of some speed rushers sometimes. So that could be maybe a weakness, but at the same time, I think they have depth there. You know, I mean, might not be the best five in the league, but I think if you go 10 deep with any team, the Bills probably are right up there with most teams in the league. And then, of course, the injury to Tredavious White, guys. There's still a lot of in- interesting, you know, uh, an interesting scenario developing there with when he's going to return. They don't know. Hopefully he's on track. Maybe he's going to play week one. But if not, what does that look like? Kyrie Elam, the first-round draft pick, starting against the Rams opening night. That's what, what would happen. He might start anyway opposite Tredavious White. They have Dane Jackson there. So I think that's an area, too, that there's just a, a, a little bit of a question. Sal, if I look back at the record books from 2000 to 2018, the Bills had, I think, three winning seasons, one playoff appearance. They now have three straight years of playoffs and three straight years of double-digit wins. What is the difference? How were they able to turn that corner? You guys have a podcast? Because I could talk with you for about an hour on this. <laughs> I really could. Um, 
So listen, I grew up in Buffalo. I had season tickets as a poor Syracuse University student driving back in a Greyhound bus during the Super Bowl years, right? I watched this team for a long time, and then I went through the drought years, and now I cover them professionally. We call it the drought because it really was the longest playoff drought in North American sports at the time. They went 17 years without making the playoffs. And I will tell you what I've learned from all of that as a fan growing up, as a professional broadcaster, as a beat reporter, it really does matter your organizational structure and leadership. Um, The Bills now have people in place that are very good at their job. They're very much in sync with each other. They have a great culture. They have a great GM who has built an incredible front office. Uh, Their head coach, Sean McDermott, is one of the most prepared individuals you will ever be around. He knows exactly, I think, how to put a team together, how to get them ready on a week-to-week basis, on a day-to-day basis. And, of course, you have to find the franchise quarterback, right, guys? I mean, we all know that. I mean, I went we, – we, what are we going to name them all, right? The Bills went through E.J. Manuel and Tyrod Taylor and Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick and, you know, a lot of guys, J.P. Lossman, if you will. So, really, that's the big difference, though. I, I think it's, it's organization. It really does take an organization to be able to turn it around. And you're talking about a guy here who covered, you know, this team through the Rex Ryan years when he was eating dog biscuits at a press conference, right? And now we're <laughs> over here with Sean McDermott, who's as buttoned up as you could possibly be. And by the way, I love Rex, but we're talking about a 180 from that type of culture. I don't know. Have we checked for any tattoos, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> of players or otherwise? Maybe he's just got them hidden and we haven't seen him yet. Uh, let's talk about uh, Josh Allen because I think you're right. There's a whole lot of things that have to go right to get here. It's not just the quarterback, but he is such a huge part of this. And just for fun, because Fitz and I know where we stand on Josh Allen. There's some other folks here at ESPN Radio who aren't yet sold. Just because he continues to have great year after great year, that's not enough. Everyone's talking too much hype about Josh Allen. So uh, is there any good reason to believe that Josh Allen doesn't continue to take steps forward and become an even better quarterback this year? With all due respect to any of your colleagues at ESPN, if anybody out there does not believe that Josh Allen is one of the top quarterbacks in the league, you're just basically stubborn or ignorant at this point. I don't know exactly what – you know, he needs to do anymore. Um, maybe you just want to hold on to a preconceived notion to tell people you were right, because we all know what the, what the talk was about him coming into the league, and he's turned that around. Um, there is no reason to think that Josh Allen is not uh, one of the top QBs in the league. You want to put him first or third or fifth, whatever. I mean, he's up there. We all know that. Um, you know, he's a unicorn. There's just nobody like him. We've seen running quarterbacks come in this league and how well they can do it. We know that that's a big part of the game right now. We haven't seen one that's 6'6", 230 pounds running the way that he can. Uh, We haven't seen one like that who has the kind of arm that he has. And, oh, by the way, the accuracy, yeah, that even was figured out, right? I mean, the guy has it. He has it all. And, you know, he comes from a small California town. When people hear he's from California, he's not from L.A. He's not from the bright, shiny lights. He was kind of built for Buffalo. You know, we're, we're the second smallest market in the league. We're not New York or Philly or Chicago or L.A. Um, Josh Allen gets it. I think this, this area suits him, playing in Buffalo, being a part of this organization and all the things that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott stand for. Uh, he's a great young man. He does so much for the community. And, you know, I, I think that Josh Allen just checks all of those boxes. But there is no reason. Now, could he have a little dip in some stats and play based on the new offensive coordinator? Maybe they want to do things a little bit different than from what Brian Dable did. Absolutely. But there's no reason whatsoever to not think that Josh Allen is not one of the elite quarterbacks in the game now. So right, how we'll does this season off. clip that off and yeah. send it to uh, the unnamed source? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how's this season end for the bills? I think it ends in Arizona in February. Um, 
I, I, I would love to be there and cover a Super Bowl for my first time. Uh, it was 13 seconds away, and I know what that felt like in the sidelines. Guys, I was there. I was down on that field when Gabriel Davis scored that touchdown, and everybody was getting ready, and people were doing, like me, getting ready for post-game interviews, and CBS was doing that, and we are all ready for it, and then things fell apart. And, you know, this team has the goods to get back. And I'll tell you, it might um, – it, it, it it's kind of a Super Bowl or bust mentality, I think, with fans and media here because they are that talented. They have the best roster in the league. I, 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 sure, you could argue that. I think it is. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. They have a great organization. Now, look, if they don't get to the Super Bowl, I heard a clip coming in from one of uh, the soundbite you played. Um, somebody you were playing said, some people think the window is closing. That is not the case. Think about this. Josh Allen's contract extension does not kick in until next year. I mean, he's wow. still in he's, he is he is locked up for a long time. Stephon Diggs just signed a contract extension. All of their great young players are locked in. Deion Dawkins, Tredavious White, Matt Milano. They're all here. I mean, Jordan Poyer's got a situation, but this this is a run that's going to last. But they need to do it now. They they've been close enough. They have the team now. Um, this team is ready to win a Super Bowl, and if they don't get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, it will be viewed as a disappointment. I think they do get there, and I think they should win the Super Bowl based on how tough the AFC is overall compared to what might come out of the NFC. Awesome stuff, Sal. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Sal. Anytime. Yeah, thank you, guys. You can follow him at Sal Sports, Sal Capaccio, Bills reporter for WGR 550 Sports Radio. I tend to agree with pretty much everything he said. I'm very high on the Bills. I think they're going to have a great season. It's Spain and Fitz. You want to hear what it sounds like to break a world record? You will next. It's coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ah, yes. Fitz's very brief life as a video vixen. So still good. Still I mean, you're still in it. Uh, you're still in it. Anytime anyone watches the Y'all Life video, you are still in it. Uh, have you done the TikTok dance? Have you learned it? No. No. I yeah, feel like that should a, be required no. if you're in the video. That's a hard no. That, that, that's what we should have been on the Commissioner's Cup. With I was going to say, TikTok I might want dance. to amend that. I think <laughs> that you should have to change the avatar and one, whichever one of us loses has to do the Y'all Life dance and post right. it right. and uh, the avatar. Let's okay, up the stakes. I mean, I'm okay, in, I'm in on this. Okay, it's Spain Vegas and Fitz here. Spain, don't fail me. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We have a lot to get to and not much time. You know how we do. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. I want to start with uh, a little highlight from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, you were out, Fitz, but on Friday I played. Some sound from Tim Kirkshen when he was on my podcast. Still one of my all-time favorites. I smiled or laughed through the whole darn thing. He is just the best. And I had a feeling that his induction into Cooperstown, uh, honored by the Baseball Writers of America, would move me to tears. And even just the little clip, listening to it independently without the rest of his incredible speech, sure does. Here's a little bit of Tim Kirkshen. I'll finish with this, um, a little secret. Every night that I write or I do a game or I do a show, I just look up at the sky and I say a little thank you to my mom and dad. I say thank you, Ned and Pop. I love you. This is for you. And today, this award, all of this, Ned and Pop, this is for you. I mean... Just the best. He's such a delightful human being. From the first time I ever got the chance to work with him at ESPN, 
to now every time I've ever talked to him. Like, he's a person that makes you smile when he walks in the room. To see his emotion and to see him be honored by people that he respects so much, just it, it absolutely was heartwarming. It was a great moment for him, a great moment for baseball. And you love when people who deserve it and who it means a lot to get that moment because there is no purer lover of the sport than Tim Kirkchen. There's no one who's devoted more of his life and time and brain mass to baseball. And he takes it all very seriously and he holds it all very dear. And that was clear in his uh, presentation and in his acceptance and in everybody who's ever met him. So very, very cool. All right, next story. Quickies. Also incredibly cool. Sydney McLaughlin. Uh, I watched a lot of the track, and man, the U.S. was on fire. A record 33 medals at the World Championships in Eugene, Oregon, but none more impressive. And that includes that includes our girl Allison Felix, who retired to great fanfare, left, went to the ESPYs, had a huge cheat meal, and then got the call, could she come back and run the relay to help them get to the final? And did... Uh, but no one was more impressive than Sydney McLaughlin. Here's what it sounded like when she broke her own world record in, uh, I believe this is from the 400-meter hurdles. There is no stopping her! 50.6! It's a world record! Sydney McLaughlin has just smashed her own record! So not only did she become the first to go under 52, she has now taken this event under 51 seconds flat! So that's from NBC USA. And, uh, and for those who don't know, I want to tell you how big of a deal for a race that is fewer than a minute long for her to keep dropping her own records by a half a minute. I mean, a half a second, a full second fits in the 400 meter open race with no hurdles in front of you. She would have the 19th fastest time in the world using her hurdle time. Which is alarming and insanity. The, the craziest part about when you watch the highlight is how effortless she makes it look. Like that's the weird. Like to think that she's that fast and it just doesn't even feel when she finishes like she's out of breath. Yeah, is amazing to me. It, the, it's the an exhausting race. It's an uh, exhausting it, race, and then you got to lift your whole body up and over the hurdles, and she doesn't even look like she's jumping. Looks like she takes them in stride. Yeah, there there's a rock star element to the way she carries herself, to the way that she presents herself into what she's doing right now that has everybody captivated. I think it's really good, frankly, for keeping awareness of Olympic sports yes. throughout the course of years. Completely agree. She is a star. She's an instant star. Uh, she also anchored the 4 by 400 Americans got that record 33rd medal there. Uh, that's three more than they got in 2017. So shout out USA. All right, next story. Quickies. Quick uh, a pivot here from some people that we champion and love to the not at all surprising and it's still gross move of Vince McMahon retiring as WWE chairman and CEO after a number of extremely, extremely damning accusations against him of uh, women that he paid off for various issues, um, including uh, the WWE finding $14.6 million in, quote, unrecorded expenses that he made. Uh, he appears to have left a bit of a mess behind him. And Fitz, I don't know if he believes that if he just retires, people will not care about the settled uh, sexual misconduct suits um, and the accusations that are now going public. But that's not usually how it works. It certainly might help make it a lesser story if he walks away right now and gets out of the spotlight. But people are not going to forget. Yeah, I think this is a major attempt to try and at least put the focus to the WWE away from Vince. And it raises what's going to be a very difficult thing later 
in life is to figure out how to quantify the legacy of someone that absolutely changed professional wrestling and sports entertainment through the course of his life, but then obviously has done a bunch of things that are super problematic. You and I talk about it a lot. How do you capture the legacy of, mm-hmm. of someone that's accomplished great things but may not be a great human being? And we're going to be dealing with that with Vince McMahon. You got to do it honestly time. and you got to do it in totality. And some people are very uncomfortable with that, but that's yep. really the only option. All right, quickly, last story. So Jim Irsay spent $6.18 million to get Muhammad Ali's Rumble in the Jungle Belt. And Fitz, it had me thinking, if you were a billionaire, you had endless money, what famous sports memorabilia item would you outbid everyone for, regardless of the cost? You don't have to answer now. You could think on it, and I want everyone at home to think on it too. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. All the money in the world, what's the one sports memorabilia you buy? Coming up, how real is the Celtics' interest in Durant? We'll ask our next guest. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Maybe it's not a drinking game. Maybe instead, more responsibly, it's a bingo card. But either way, feels like every day there's going to be something to check off on the bingo card revolving Kevin Durant. And today, that rumor seems to be Boston talking to the Nets about trying to acquire the superstar. The question is, is it real? Is it possible and should it happen? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Let's get into some expertise on this, Sarah. For that, we are joined by NBC Sports Boston's Chris Forsberg. Chris, appreciate the time. Obviously, everybody talking about it today. Boston trying to go all in on Durant. You're there. How realistic is this from what you can gather? Yeah, so I would say, like, I totally understand why Boston would do their due diligence and and investigate it. And there's just there's only so many times that a player of Kevin Durant's magnitude comes on the market, and um, with the with with seemingly a limited amount of suitors, at least to this point, um, it's understandable Boston would have to to to, to sort of see what uh, Brooklyn's temperature is. And yet, like, the one thing I keep coming away with is. Like they hauled Jalen Brown to a pretty high value, and the 26-year-old with room to grow, and you have to balance that against you know where Kevin Durant is. And like, look, he's still amazing at 34, but um, it's, it'd be a short in your window. So that's just the balance the team has to has to to, to, to monitor right now. And you know what is the what is the ultimate asking price of the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, but it is sort of fascinating. I, I keep going back to it. I mean, I just watched this team go to the NBA Finals, and they were four minutes away from going up three-one, and, and all of a sudden they're, they're they're somehow in the mix for Kevin Durant. So, I, good position to be in. But ultimately, they got to figure out what what group they want to move forward with most. And uh, you know, part of me selfishly wants this, kind of wants to see it with Jason and Jalen, and, and 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 bear it out. But um, you know, again, Durant doesn't come on the market very often. Yeah, and and I think Durant, to me, feels like a guy that will stay healthy and productive in the next four years of this deal and will not have that drop-off anytime soon. But I get your point about Brown being a young star who they've worked to to get better and built a, a great team with. I guess I'm wondering what the belief is around Brown's uh, loyalty and love for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. They have him for two more seasons on a great deal. Uh, they signed him to an extension in 2019. They will have to pay him a big chunk if they want to keep him after that. And he will have the decision to go if he wants. Will he be frustrated by this? He tweeted SMH. He liked a tweet that said he was disrespected by Celtics fans. So is there any chance that this leads to a disgruntled guy who 
you don't know that you're going to have after two years. Yeah, and I think this is the, the, the ultimate crux of the situation, that hopefully Brad Stevens has a better grasp than we do from the outside about where Jalen Brown is, what his desires are, you know, what he, what he foresees as the next steps in his career. I'll say this to this point, at least, you know, in what he said, in what he has revealed, you know, it, it, I've never heard a displeasure about Boston, about his situation. I think he, he actually, I know before last season, he expressed um, an appreciation for the way him and, and Jason Tatum have sort of become the pillars and, and building this thing up from being the young guys on that Kyrie team to, to now leading this team to the finals. Um, I think winning goes a long ways towards making you like your situation, but certainly Jalen Brown has to decide. It, does he want to be a, maybe a, more of a focal point? of another team? Could he be like the sort of the face of the Brooklyn Nets in that situation Um, or any other team? If he is to reach free agency, the Celtics will be able to offer him that extra year when he gets to that point in the summer of 24. Um, Does that matter? Is, you know, like the, how does money play into all of this? So uh, Brad Stevens has to, has to know those things or at least have a feel for that. Because if you do get the, 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 this inclination that he isn't here long-term, then I think that makes you have to make you a little bit more aggressive in the, the the Durant pursuit, especially given that Durant has four years left on his contract. And just like you said, it's hard to imagine him not being a still impactful and su- like, you know, MVP caliber player at the start of the deal. Uh, and then he, still being super impactful by the end of it. Uh, you know, that's, that's where I think that's where behind closed doors. I would love to hear those meetings, what, what Brad Stevens and his staff know and, and just how they're leaning in that regard. We're talking to Chris Forsberg from NBC Sports Boston, and, and I guess I'm just trying to figure out how you fix it then because in my mind, Chris, I just see this this moment here where the Celtics decide to go all in, and then it doesn't happen. They can't get a trade done. How do they sort of manage his feelings at, at that mm-hmm. point? Like, what what's the collateral damage? Yeah, and just like you guys said, it, so, I mean, Jalen is now twice in the last, you know, couple months here with, with these rumors. Now you think about it. He, he was drafted number three and Celtics fans booed because they either wanted Chris Dunn or they wanted a, a, a trade for a, for a more established player like Jimmy Butler at that point. His name has been dangled when Kawhi was available, when um, uh, James Harden was available. Now Tatum did that, a little bit of that too when Anthony Davis became available. So the Celtics have just got to manage that a little bit and be open and honest about those discussions. I think you have to, like the players know. Um, I think Jalen, in a way, should be um, take it positively that he's been mentioned in the breath with those players, especially as his, as his own star ascends. But certainly, you have to be honest with the player and just say, like, look, yeah, we had to do our due diligence, but you know, we were never seriously involved in that. And I don't know, maybe that's spin. But yeah, you got to you got to tiptoe delicately because part of what made the Celtics so good a year ago was that. You know, everyone was sort of pulling in the same direction. They weathered that early storm, but they were, like, stuck together. You know, Jalen himself, I think, um, came out and said it after the, the – uh, I think after the, the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, when everybody wanted the, the, the Jays to split apart, they came together. And so you don't want to add any more strife to that. You don't want to certainly uh, cause it internally. So the Celtics just got to kind of walk that tightrope as they explore what's possible. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, at Chris Forsberg underscore is where you can follow him. He's from NBC Sports Boston. Let's forget Kevin Durant. Let's let's say that doesn't go down. Uh, this is a team that already got better this offseason by adding Brogdon and Gallinari. Do you see them making any other moves if the whole KD thing doesn't go down, or do they think they have enough? 
Yeah, I think based on where they are, they're about $20 million over the tax line. They're going to be paying a pretty hefty bill as they kind of wade back into that. Um, you know, they really don't have many means beyond some smaller trade exceptions to, to add players. I think they feel like they're 10 deep. You know, one of the things I kept hearing in Vegas uh, pretty often was people saying, you know, if they'd had that roster with Brogdon and Gallinari uh, a month before while they were in the finals, they probably won a won a ring and gotten to the finish line of that series. You know, but you got to go out and prove it all over again, and you need internal development from Jason and Jalen and uh, that core. So it's it's a lot tougher to get back there sometimes. Um, I don't see them making any moves initially if they if they fade from this Durant sweepstakes. But I think they feel pretty comfortable. Brad Stevens has said, you know, they feel like they have a championship caliber roster. And again, that all factors into this. It's one thing to go after Kevin Durant when you feel like you're a second-tier team where that, that there's a prohibitive favorite in front of you. I think they should feel like the Bucks are going to be a little bit better with a healthy Chris Middleton. They should know that like the East in general is a little bit better. Um, so that's good. That, that all goes into the equation. But I do th- think they feel like if this is the team they bring back and if Tatum is just a little bit more consistent, if Jalen Brown takes another step and builds off that finals, you know, this team should be in the mix. Um, you know, and that, that they should be back at, in, at least competing for a chance to get to that title round. Best guess when the regular season starts is Kevin Durant to Celtic? You know what? I, my, my gut has always said, like, it's going to get weird and he's just going to be back with Brooklyn. I do not think he'll be on the Boston Celtics, but you can isolate this audio and say I know nothing and that uh, it's a freezing cold take if it, if it tips the other way. I will say this because, you know, I mean, not that Danny Ainge wasn't bold, but Brad Stevens hasn't been afraid to sort of, you know, make some uncomfortable moves. And we saw from trading Kemba Walker on pretty much his first day on the job to, the, you know, the deadline moves to, to everything that he's done. He's been bold, and, you know, this would be the boldest of them all. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how it plays out. But I still think, ultimately, the fact that this news leaked on a random July night at 2.30 a.m., is more than Nets trying to spur others into action. But, you know, hey, the Celtics are hanging out there, and they might just have the best available trade ship if they desire to to make it a reality. Uh, I'm not helping your freezing cold takes. I just want to let you know that I agree with you, which probably means you're going to end up with the freezing cold oh, take. No. That never works out well, Chris. <laughs> never good. Never. You never, never want to be on the same side but of these But I agree with you. So oh, so you've got a chance. Good, yeah, good. you've got, got a shot. In the teeter-totter of life, you're, you're doing okay now. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Chris Forsberg underscore. Check him out on NBC Sports Boston. Chris, always appreciate the time and expertise, brother. Thanks, y'all. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. If you're a renter, make sure you're protected. Renter's insurance includes options that cover stolen property, personal injury, and living expenses if your place is damaged. Quote renter's insurance at Progressive.com. Okay, this weekend saw massive controversy in college football, but it brings up an opportunity to fix something forever moving forward in the sport. I'm going to get that solved for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I feel like every month or so right now, there's a way that college football can reinvent itself. And usually it's pretty clear to see. But over the weekend, something happened that provides an opportunity to reinvent for the future that I'm not sure everybody's caught. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And there was big news over the weekend for the Tennessee football team. Uh, they have uh, The NCAA has charged Tennessee's football program with 18 level one alleged rules violations. That's the most severe under its rules for impermissible recruiting benefits totaling about $60,000 that were paid to prospects, players, and their family under former coach Jeremy Pruitt. 
the the accusations are pretty damning, including his wife making cash payments, remembering that his wife was once a compliance officer with the NCAA. So Yoinks. knew knew what they were doing, and it raises a real question of what do you do? Because Sarah, there is a proposed rule change right now from the NCAA that could allow players to transfer every year if they wanted to. They're, they're talking about, do we want to give players the ability to just go from school to school as they need to for their lives? And as we examine these things, and I look at the way that we always punish in college football, for years we punish the institution because what you don't want is an institution to let things get out of control. In the new world, though, where players have the uh, ability to go wherever they want to go and coaches have the ability to go wherever they want to go, I think this is a time for the NCAA to reimagine everything. And instead of punishing the schools, punish the specific people involved. Create a guideline that says, okay, if you are guilty of a level one rules violation, you, the player, and you, the coach, will be suspended for a year. Let the coaches have to carry this with them wherever they go so they can't just leave schools and continue to make money. Make them sit out unpaid for different levels of time, depending on how severe the uh, violation are. And then with the players, make sure that they understand that this type of violation carries a one-year suspension, a two-year suspension, a three-year suspension. You don't get that eligibility back. You will simply be forced to sit out wherever you play in college football. Because if we're going to give players and coaches more opportunity to move, then it feels to me like instead of focusing on the institutions, we need to focus on the actual people that are involved with it in the new age. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, of course, because if you know your school's about to get it, you just switch places and you don't have to deal with any of it. And it hurts the institution that employed the person. But ultimately, um, you know, it, the the person who actually caused the problem skates pretty easily. I I think there's other things to, to look at here. First of all, it sucks if you are bad at football and at cheating at football. Um <laughs> Listen, if you're going to get caught with the most severe penalties, you should be winning the whole thing, right? You shouldn't be also ran. I mean, that's part of the problem here. I guarantee you this is going on at a bunch of really successful places, and they're better at cheating and football. Um, I also think what I thought you were going to bring up was that there are some rules that now appear to be changing in light of NIL and other changing ideas about the college football landscape that make some of the punishments served by people in the past no longer applicable or maybe seem outdated and antiquated. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, drug laws where most people believe you should commute sentences of anybody that has minor pot and other marijuana related offenses now that it's legal. I completely agree with that. But when you were doing that, yeah, you were doing something illegal, but you weren't getting a leg up on everyone else who's trying to smoke weed illegally. But in sports, if there are rules, everyone has to abide by them until those rules change. Just because you've changed them doesn't mean you go back and say, okay, you were cheating against all your competition and now we don't care about it anymore. I thought you were going to go there with it. I think the place you went is right. I I just wonder how you decide, because it feels like these are so subjective in terms of punishment for various crimes, how you decide where the line is to go from simply suspended for half a season to lose a whole season of eligibility to not hireable. Um, and if we're going to start doing that, can we also start making it so that people who enable massive crimes and cover up things and don't 
mandatory report things like rape and assault also don't immediately get hired elsewhere. I mean, that seems like that should be part of the future of college football. Right. And, and this is where things get difficult because the players don't have a union. And uh, obviously the organizations, the NCAA, is, is proven to be mostly powerless. Like this would take a czar of college football or the NCAA before it loses whatever limited power it has coming in and deciding for very specific things. But this is why I think you need specificity and punishment and you need to be able to come in and say, because you're right, I, we're going to see less and less of what we just saw. I mean, this is, you know, coaches giving out cash when now they could just yeah, sort just of have a thinly car hide it. And yeah, pretend that they're, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're going to see as much of this issue, but since we won't see as much of this issue, it becomes even more important in my mind that there's structure in place for punishment and that punishment live with the people that were actually part of it. Like, we always talk about the collateral damage of kids that uh, are suddenly part of a program and they can't do anything, they can't go anywhere, and their program's been given some version of the death penalty. Well, this will allow those death penalties to actually follow the coaches that are part of the problem and follow the players that are part of the problem, which I think could curb some of the cheating long term. But I, I don't disagree, though, with the concept of, you know, I think a lot of this is going to go away. It just means that you and I need to become the czars of college football. That's all. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that job. And I'm going to be the one who makes sure that people don't get rehired after they're trash human beings somewhere. I actually spoke to one of our uh, one of our one of the politicians in Michigan who came to an ESPNW summit and asked, like, what things could potentially be put into law. And I was like, there should be a law that you can't just completely obfuscate when there's issues of rape or otherwise on campus and then just leave and go somewhere else and get hired immediately that there needs to be something that follows you when that happens because it doesn't right now and that is amazing to me yeah and by the way i imagine being the person that says no to that law proposal i'm right. just saying being the person right. that says no to that would be mind-blowing spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz uh, also mind-blowing this hits home for you uh, I don't know if you saw this today, but uh, Soldier Field looks like uh, there's a conversation about whether or not there's going to be a renovation to Soldier Field. They're trying to find ways to keep the Bears happy. looks like a dome stadium that could be coming in that could cost anywhere from $900 million to $2.2 billion. There's three <laughs> different proposals out there. Are you in for a domed Soldier Field? I'm torn on this. At first, I thought that the Bears threatening to go to Arlington Heights was just gamesmanship because of this contract that was coming up with the city, because of the demands that they were hoping to get out of the city to make it a better landing spot. But this is very different than when this happened a couple of years ago and the Cubs tried to fake like the, the, like the Cubs would move to the Burbs. Wrigley Field makes so much money. It is a landmark destination. That's not the case for Soldier Field. And the Cubs own Wrigley Field. The Bears don't own Soldier Field. The plot of land is small. There's a really difficult time expanding. It's you know blocked by water on multiple sides, so it's hard to get in and out of. It's not big enough for a Super Bowl, for March Madness, for massive events. So they lose a ton of opportunity there. I actually believe they're going to go to Arlington Heights. And as much as I will be sad about that because it's a bit more difficult for me, it kind of makes sense in terms of adding a sports book. It makes sense in terms of owning the land and building it bigger and better. And I just don't think that Soldier Field as a space works for this, even if you put a dome and add those seats the way that they proposed. If you ever needed a reason why new stadiums are so important to teams, the Raiders have the third lowest capacity. Uh, with that third lowest capacity, they ranked 25th last year in tickets sold in the league. Not surprising. 
They ranked first in ticket revenue, making $1.9 billion in home ticket revenue. Tells you everything you need to know about why these stadiums are important to teams and why they're fighting so hard to get them done. All right, we'll get back to our two-a-days coming down the stretch. Next team up, I don't know, some team in Kansas City, never heard of them. We'll preview them next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Two-a-days continue here on Spain and Fitz. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and joining us now, ESPN Chiefs reporter Adam Teicher. You can follow him at Adam Teicher. Let's start with what was just referenced there. We did see Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have to adjust a little to teams taking away that deep shot and that deep threat in Tyreek Hill. He was still there, but they did make him learn how to dink and dunk a little bit more. And that might have been a bit of a preview to what we'll see this year. Tyreek Hill now gone. How big of a deal is that for Patrick Mahomes? Do we have Adam? Well, I thought we had Adam. It felt good that we had Adam. But, you it know, felt, I, felt you, I, I think you guys there have me now. There Yay, we go. There we go, Adam. Did you hear the question? All right. Yes, I did. I did. Cool. And um, it's going to be, um, you know, an interesting season for the Chiefs offensively. I, I don't think anybody, including the Chiefs, know exactly how this is going to go. I mean, they have some ideas and some hopes. But uh, there's no guarantee that this is going to work out the way they uh, – you know, way they intend. They got so much new going on in their passing game with uh, um, Marquez Valdez Scantling and, and Juju Smith Schuster and Sky Moore. And of course, McCall Hardman is the one uh, receiver they got returning. So uh, I think everybody's eager to see how exactly how this turns out. Adam, is the approach right now going to be plug and play with those guys, keep what you do and just utilize new players? Or is it going to be to adjust the play calling around the strengths of the new people? No, they're going to adjust the play calling to who they've got, and they'll they'll try to play to the strengths of the guys they have. You know, the, the guy who really interests me is uh, Valdez Scantling. The Chiefs think that maybe he was underutilized in Green Bay, that they can expand his game and do more with him than just send him down the field and, and uh, use his speed. So it's going to be interesting to see how he evolves in the Chiefs' offense or whether he does evolve and, uh, you know, how the Chiefs maybe can expand his game. So that's the one guy when the Chiefs start camp on Wednesday, that's the one guy who's really going to uh, have my attention. I'm, I'm going to be curious to how it's going to go for him for sure. Adam, for all the hand-wringing last year, the Chiefs still won 12 games and they still went far. But they did start to struggle in ways that I think many people hadn't anticipated this early into this experiment. There was a lot of prisoner of the moment talk about Patrick Mahomes winning every single MVP and that team winning every Super Bowl for years to come. And that hasn't been the case. Is there any reason to believe there might be another little step back or more challenges for them this year in the same way that maybe we didn't anticipate last year being so tough? The Chiefs have a lot of issues. I mean, we talked about wide receiver, but their left tackle, Orlando Brown, is uh, unsigned. He's their franchise player, and so it's up to him if and when he shows up. Um, and, and the Chiefs have a have a big hole to fill if he, if he doesn't show up. So that's a, a, another issue for them. They've got so much new on defense. Um, you know, Tyron Matthews gone, among others. Um, they're they're going to be counting on a lot of young guys. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, their defensive coordinator, he's notoriously difficult on 
rookies. He he makes them prove over and over and over and over again before he puts them in the lineup. But he might have to compromise that a little bit this year because uh, they're, the Chiefs going to be counting. They got two first round uh, uh, players on defense that they're going to be counting on, and uh, um, so they might have to compromise that a little bit this year. So um, um, I'm really eager to see how things turn out on defense. So there there are some issues for the Chiefs and. Uh, you know, if all these things resolve themselves to, to their chief satisfaction, they'll have another great team. But that's not how it usually works in the real world. With all these unresolved issues, not everything turns out uh, your way a lot of times. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it if they they come out and they're they're playing poorly on defense or their receivers aren't responding or you know, they're having trouble at left tackle. It's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs respond to all, any or all of that. We're talking to Adam Teicher, ESPN Chiefs reporter. You can follow him on Twitter, at Adam Teicher on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You just mentioned a couple of the rookies, and I, frankly, I really like this draft class for the Chiefs. I thought they did a nice job, but Trent McDuffie sp- steps into that spot with nobody uh, like a Tyro Matthew there to sort of be the voice of the secondary. Who's the veteran guy that's got to help the young guys learn this system quickly? Yeah, well, I mean, the Chiefs did sign Justin Reed from Houston, and and the Chiefs are going to be asking him to uh, handle that load to some extent. You know, they're, they're, but he, but he's a new guy. He's uh, um, trying to figure out some things himself. He doesn't know where the uh, the food line is at, at Arrowhead Stadium yet. You know, so um, it, it's going to be a little bit of a process for the Chiefs, and they're going to have to identify some guys that uh, who are going to be those kinds of players. Uh, um, so, you know, the, the Tyron Matthews did so much for the Chiefs. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure people who just watch the games on Sunday really appreciate what kind of presence he was in the locker room and, and what kind of leader he was. And uh, so the Chiefs have some uh, some issues to do in that regard as well. They need to figure out some things and maybe identify some people who are going to handle that kind of thing. Adam Teicher is with us here at Adam Teicher is where you can follow him as he continues to cover the Chiefs. We're doing two-a-days here on Spain and Fitz. What additions in the offseason are you keeping an eye on? What are some of the new faces for the team? Well, you start, I guess, with the two first-round draft picks. Chiefs are going to be asking a lot from Trent McDuffie, a cornerback from Washington and uh, uh, George Karloftis, the defensive end from Purdue. Chiefs are going to; those guys are going to play, and they're going to play from day one, and they're going to have to play well if the Chiefs are going to get where they want to go defensively. Um, you know, so those are two of the the, the big uh, newcomers. Uh, Justin Reed, we talked about from Houston. Uh, he's the, the Tyron Matthew replacement, so we'll see uh, you know, how well he can do in that uh, respect. You know, so those are really the uh, the the, uh, the main three. Uh, in addition to the wide receivers, Juju Smith Schuster and um, uh, Marquez Valdez Scanling, and uh, so uh, you know those are the guys that Chiefs will be counting on who weren't with the team last year. Adam, it's tough for me not to look at the AFC West and feel like the Chargers are the cream of the division. Where do the Chiefs fit in in your mind with the rest of the division? Yeah, I mean, I I talked to somebody who around the league who said, I, I thought he, he summed it up perfectly. Said the, the, the games between the AFC West teams this year are going to be like playoff games. They're, they're, those are going to be like that kind of intensity, that kind of uh, uh, maybe even that kind of uh, a weight on them. You know, it's, they're all going to just feel like uh, you know you make one mistake and and the world is over. So. Uh, 
I think that that's how good these games are going to be. So where the Chiefs are, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I had a better feel at this time of year what the Chiefs might put on the field the last few years. But this year was so much new, and, and, and we talked about all these uh, new players they've got, particularly on defense, and you just don't know. Uh, you know, I still feel like with Pat Mahomes, a quarterback, and coached by Andy Reid, the Chiefs are going to be pretty good. They'll certainly uh, – um, you know, be competitive, but uh, you know, you you look at just purely on paper the roster. You have to like the Chargers. I mean, that's you know they they've got so much going for them. They've got a quarterback who looks like he's uh, uh, you know he belongs in the uh, you know in the uh, discussion for in that top tier. He just needs to uh, produce in the playoffs and get get his team in the playoffs and produce there. So um, it, it, I, I feel like the Chiefs will be there in the end, but will they uh, you know, get enough done uh, to, to, to win a seventh straight AFC West? I can't tell you that right now. Adam Teicher is with us here on Spain and Fitz. I don't know if you know this because, well, you know, camp's just going to get underway here, and we don't know. Uh, we haven't been, you haven't been around the players and the team, but does it feel like the city maybe – um, has a vibe of Super Bowl or bust like it feels like it has in recent years when you're starting a season with Patrick Mahomes? Or is the realization of the competitiveness of the AFC and that division in particular make it feel like there's a little bit of a step back in expectation this season? No, I, I think it's as long as Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, I think Chiefs fans are going to expect to uh, and they're making plans for for the Super Bowl, so um, I, I don't think there is that. Hey, there, there's a, there's an awareness that things might be a little difficult this year. You know, one thing I've heard is that hey, it, it's not. Hey, there was sort of an expectation when when the Chiefs first started getting going with Mahomes that this was going to be like the New England dynasty that they were going to be going to a lot of Super Bowls and they were going to win a lot of championships, but. This is different now. The the AFC teams are really coming after them in a way that nobody really came after the Patriots for a lot of years under Belichick and Brady. So uh, um, it's going to be more difficult for them. So there is a realization that it's not going to be easy. But I think as long as Mahomes is here and the Chiefs are coached by Andy Reid, that um, the the Chiefs are going to uh, the fans are going to expect some really good things from the Chiefs. Yeah, can't blame them. Hey, Adam, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the start of camp. Thanks as always, my friend. Hey, good, good stuff, guys. We'll talk to you down the road. You can follow at Adam Teicher on Twitter. The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Coming up, you have to, if you had, if you could read... And then you also had unlimited funds to get any sports memorabilia item. (laughs) What would you buy? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I was unaware that uh, Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, has what is considered the greatest rock and roll American history and pop guitar collection on earth. Yes. That he has spent his considerable wealth gathering some of the finest guitars ever known. And so... We've got a, you know, Jerry Garcia, a Gilmore, 
a Bob Dylan, a George Harrison. He's got all sorts of incredible guitars. And so when we asked y'all if you had his kind of money, which he just spent over $6 million of on the belt from Muhammad Ali's Rumble in the Jungle, what would you spend it on in terms of sports memorabilia? Someone very smart said, uh, not sports memorabilia. I would just want Jim Mercy's guitar collection. So oh, uh, yeah. congrats to you on being uh, smarter than us in this game. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You guys did give us some really good answers to this. A couple of the ones that I love. Jeff Norman said the Roselle headband that Jim McMahon used to wear to, oh, yeah, to, sure. to get the commissioner mad. I like that. Uh, Werner James five, he's got jokes. He says the, uh, the WNBA all-star game MVP trophy. Can't put a price tag on that. You remember, <laughs> of course, it was a tiny, tiny little thing. A lot of people wanted Walter Payton worn things from the Super Bowl. Uh, Ross and Auntie Ryder said Scott Norwood's shoe, uh, similar vibes. Dodgers trolley, Diego Maradona's 86 world cup Jersey from the hand of God game. Uh, somebody else wants the home run ball Mickey Mantle hit on the day he was born. That's a cool one. I got a lot of Chicago-based stuff for sure. A lot of like stuff worn in the first game of a World Series or the seventh game. Um, somebody would just buy the entire Los Angeles Lakers, which I guess is memorabilia. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. very smart. Uh, Mickey Mantle rookie cards. One of the things I thought about is, if I'm going to invest a ton of money, I both want it to be something cool and something that has good resale value if I'm improperly spending the millions that I have on such things. So, you know, Michael Jordan's personal ring from, like, the uh, the the best Bulls championship season, that's probably got a good resale value if things start to go wrong for me. I like that answer a lot. Here's the, I put some thought into this because – uh, I want it also to stand out and be displayed easily. You know that I, I like to have like toys and stuff like that. Right, so yes. I like to display things in general. And so I got to thinking about what would stand out. So I'm going to go with sports entertainment because when I was a kid, I used to go to wrestling matches all the time. When I was in the 80s in Vegas at the Showboat Casino, there was this little like wrestling federation that always came through. I would want the, the, champion, the tag team championship belts that the Rockers wore in the 80s to the wrestling matches I went to because it's sentimental value from being a kid. It's okay. also incredibly difficult to find. I mean, to have the actual belt, you'd be talking there were only a few dozen of those ever made, and it would be such a wild story to display on the wall that it yeah. would stand out. See, that's, that's why, very that's, true. That's it's very smart. That's kind of like this guy, Mike DiRico, who said Dale Earnhardt's 98 Daytona 500 winning car. Oh, I mean, oh, that's a good a idea, too. car is a really wise, but we're thinking too small here. Uh, the Jordan flu game jersey is a great one. Uh, yeah, but see, here's the thing. How do you, like, then you got to tell everybody that's not just a Jordan jersey. Well, it's the you'd flu put together one of like, those frames where you've got the photo of him oh, leaning into oh, Pep, okay, and you've got, fair. you know. I, I do I do think you're right about the size, though, because I was thinking Chicago J.K. Return uh, posted the gif of Anthony Rizzo slipping that World Series winning ball in his back pocket and said what this young ge gentleman just put in his pocket. That's a great one for me, but it's a ball. Again, very small. It's 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 not as impressive. Um, and I think you're right, thinking big on something. I like yeah, this. Like, Jeff cause... Metcalf said something from the 1896 Olympics. That's the first Olympics. That would be really cool. But to your point, if you had like evil Knievel's full suit or something from jumping over a cliff, 
it'd show, show up a little more on your wall. Yeah, you got to think about like when you go to a museum, the bigger things that are like better lit, you go yeah. to that faster than the like the little case over on the side that has like, that's why I didn't, my, my first thought was going to be like, you know, the, the, the football they used for the opening kickoff of the first game in front of fans in Vegas for the Raiders. That would make a ton of right. sense for me. But then I was like, that's just a football. Like, you got to explain yeah, what that football is that. every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe I should just think of Allegiant Stadium as an entire the, piece of memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. I would like to buy the stadium. Never mind. That's in. I'm not, I now own Allegiant. Thank you. A couple good ones. Also, Rapino's jersey from when she did the famous uh, arms spread out celebration. Uh, a piece of Evander's ear with Mike's bite marks in it. Uh, that's gross. Yes, um, and then another one that I really liked was the shoes Jesse Owens wore when he smoked some Nazis. Uh, is a good one. <laughs> I'm going to need to think a little bigger. I will get back to you on that one, but you guys had some good answers. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, we started the show talking about Kyler Murray's little homework clause in his contract. And what we didn't talk about was in whose best interest it was to leak this. Now, it's someone who maybe thought Kyler didn't deserve that money because he doesn't want this out. This is embarrassing to him and undermines him. The team, in theory, wouldn't want this out. They've just offered this guy the second most guaranteed money of anybody and the second most money uh, per season of anybody. Why would you want to immediately undermine the decision that you've just made and the confidence you've just put in this young man by letting everyone know that he needs to have someone standing over his shoulder making sure he studies well? So who leaked this? And why? It certainly sounds like it's someone who doesn't believe that he's in it for the long haul. And it does make you wonder just how long this romance is going to last. Yeah. And that's the weirdest part about it, because you're right. Nobody from his camp would want this out. So whoever and frankly, I don't think anybody from the Cardinals would either. But there's a lot more likely to be somebody on the Cardinals side that doesn't love this contract or wants to make sure that they protect themselves in it or whatever it might be. The fact that this comes from somewhere and undermines everything that we thought a day ago about a contract. You know, we went from glory be to God, look at how they've worked together, to now suddenly saying, my God, you had to put that in the contract? Like, what a tone change. And if I'm Kyler Murray, I'm livid that somebody has put this out there, that, that this is now going to be a question he's going to have to answer over and over and over again about something that should be really special for him. Well, not to pat myself on the back, but instead of just celebrating the contract, when you were out on Friday, I did spend time asking what becomes of the quotes about Kyler Murray before the negotiations were finalized that said he was self-centered and difficult. And who said those things and why? Was it all's fair in love and contract negotiating? And somebody put that out there to try to lower his value? Or was that... A, a, a front office person, a staff member, a coach, a fellow teammate, somebody who really believes those things about him. And do those things go away simply because he's getting paid now? Because that stuck out for me is you hear a lot about people who don't agree on contracts and we're hearing it with Lamar Jackson, but no one's coming out and deriding the character or ability of Lamar to lead the team. It certainly did happen with Kyler and adding this to the mix really makes you wonder. Yeah. I'm a big believer for, it doesn't matter what you do. For your job. So many people sit there and they feel disrespected and they hate what they do. And then they think the answer is to get a raise. And then a few months later, you realize that more money didn't necessarily make you happier in that situation. You still hate your job. You still hate the people you work for. If there's animosity, cash doesn't fix that animosity. And so if the it might short term, but long term, I don't believe it ever does. And so now you add this to all of that. Uh, this just feels like the, all of this feels like a disaster in wait. 
Yeah, it really does. And such a talented player. So I was fine with the money at just being the going rate. But um, interested to see the interactions with teammates, coaches, front office, etc., and finding out the source of these leaks that continue to plague him. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Guest.